what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Hello? Hi, Jennifer. It's Brian. Hi, you can come right up. Great. Doctors don't do house calls these days, but this one's exceptional. I'm meeting Jennifer Noon at her home in Winnipeg. She's a nurse. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? I'm good, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yes, please come in. Thank you. We'll get to Jen's story in a moment. She gives me a tour of her neat and tidy place that ends at a big granite countertop by her kitchen, crammed with things carefully set out. And I found this card. This was a task that we were um, asked to do on the first day of nursing school. You want to read it? Sure. So why I chose nursing, I want a rewarding and fulfilling career in which I get to help people. Jennifer's grad statement on why she became a nurse, mementos, awards, thank you notes, so many of them. Like she's trying to remind herself of why she became a nurse and the good things she's done since she became a nurse. All of them on one side of a ledger. On the other side, that one terrible thing that happened one year ago this month, when Jennifer says she was physically attacked at an unguarded security door at the hospital where she works, or worked, she's still on leave. Violence against nurses has been called an occupational hazard. A 2017 survey found nearly one in five registered practical nurses and other frontline workers had been assaulted nine or more times that year. The Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions says time-off claims for acts of violence are going up three times faster than police and correctional service officers combined. Jen's story jumps out from the stats because, unlike most other nurses, she went to the police. We'll get to that later. How are you feeling today? Is today a good day? You know what? Today is a good day. Um, I just have to keep thinking that the events that had happened are done. They're over, they're time-stamped, and you can't time travel. So I'm just trying to get better a little bit every day. But it's ups and downs. Ups and downs like a roller coaster, like I've never experienced before. And yeah, you're starting to think about it, relive it right now as we speak? Correct. Do you get flashbacks? I do, unfortunately, and usually they happen at night um, when I should be resting and sleeping and working at getting better. I know it's over, so I just call them like little ripples. When we talk about it, if I think about it, something can trigger it. But you can't help but think about it. Jen says the attack happened just before 7 a.m. on March 27, 2023. We aren't naming Jennifer's employer in Winnipeg because she says she risks losing her job if she speaks publicly. The attack occurred just outside the hospital. I was walking uh, from the parkade where I usually park my car, the same spot every day. I'm a creature of habit. 
And as I was entering a staff only entrance or exit, I felt a pull right behind me like something had pulled my backpack. I did get smashed into like the door frame, the wall. Um, everything just happened so fast. Um, I was definitely caught off guard. I'm pretty much a street safe person. You know, I don't have my phone in my hand. I have my work badge ready. And when I, I was pulled back, I noticed there was um, just a very, very tall man. Thankfully, I was able uh, to fight him off a bit. And by the time you realize it, it was over. Um, I was safe inside a locked door. And then I had gone uh, to get some help. What do you make of the fact that you were uh, assaulted at an employee's entrance to the hospital? Very scary because it should be a safe place. It's full of lights. It's usually people coming and going, people being dropped off, transport, bringing patients to and from. Um, when I'm literally one step away from walking in a door, that should not happen. What was the first thing you did when you got inside the building? Uh, when I got inside, um, I went to go find a security guard for help. So I did call on my cell phone uh, right away. They made sure I got help. I went to my unit. But everything just happened so fast. Like I know I had to be triage number one. The headache, I mean, that was starting in the pressure and I could see a little bit of blood. It was filing a report with security, the police, letting my unit manager know. And then the emotion of it, uh, crying, angry, um, just not knowing what the intent of this person was. Jennifer needed to be checked out medically, so she went to Emerge at the same hospital where she works. When she arrived in the ER, she spotted the assailant. Turns out he too had registered to be seen. Jennifer says she identified him to security staff who detained him. She did that while trying to hide so he wouldn't spot her. So how did you react seeing him there in the emergency department uh, waiting to be treated? You know, I... It's hard because the fear comes over you just knowing that he can look where I was even when I had to be treated in the same department. Um, the staff were so kind. They tried to separate me, make sure he couldn't see me. They tried to put up like a little wall in that, which did help. But, you know, the security had to detain him. They did have a right because I did identify him and waiting on police. But I didn't feel relief until the police escorted him out and took him away. How long did it take for you to get treated in the emergency department, assessed and treated? Yeah, I want to say by maybe the end of 5 p.m. of that day, um, unfortunately, it was such a wait in that ER, 22 to 24 hours. There were people that were even there since Friday night, and this was Monday morning. And I don't get ahead because I'm a healthcare worker, but um, just my symptoms were getting worse, and I didn't really have a choice. I had to think of myself, so I did get a ride uh, to a walk-in clinic. I had a full assessment done by the doctor, and then I was sent off to like a concussion specialist. But still, you were assaulted at your mm -hmm. workplace. Do you think that you know, the hospital administration has more an obligation to look after its employees who are assaulted on their premises? Yeah, they do. And it's also an obligation to look after everybody else. Do you feel that you were targeted? You know what? At first, I didn't. But again, it was a staff only entrance exit. No one should even be on that side of the hospital. There's signs all over. Unfortunately, I do know his past after dealing with the court system, after I did go through to charge him, I believe I was targeted. This is a person who I have been told by different personnel from the court system, uh, the police, just what I can disclose as public knowledge. He does uh, target like first responders and people who are trying to enforce the law. So looking back, thinking about your, your work, the work that you obviously love doing, how does that make you feel? 
you know, oh, it makes me so emotional because I am going into work to help the most critically ill people in Manitoba. And you took that away from me. And I'm still not at work. Uh, the staff shortages are unreal and it's, it, it is getting worse. And we did have a couple code oranges. And that kills me, to be honest, because I would have been used there. You know, I, I have so many years of doing this. You know, I want to help, but I can't. I'm at home. I need to step out to explain the code orange that Jennifer just mentioned. A code orange is a plan that hospitals activate during natural disasters and mass casualty incidents, situations when the influx of patients overwhelms hospital resources. Manitoba had two code oranges in 2023. In May, a walkway collapsed at Fort Gibraltar, and in June, a collision between a bus and a semi that resulted in 17 deaths, mostly seniors. Even now, it bothers Jen that she was on leave and missed both of them. She was dealing with the aftermath of the physical assault. So tell me about the injuries that you sustained when you went to to visit the doctors and therapists, physiotherapists, etc. Yeah. Well, first off, I did get slammed into the door frame, into the door. Um, so I do have a moderate to severe concussion. Ups and downs, again, like some days are worse than others with the noise. Uh, right now, I've been wearing my sunglasses all day until um, I met up with you to do this interview. Um, plenty of abrasions, scrapes and that. Sore shoulder, sprain strain to that. And I was also recovering from a surgery I'd had last year. I do have uh, trauma therapy, which I believe was so helpful, beneficial to deal with things. Unfortunately, symptoms I have are PTSD symptoms, flashbacks and nightmares every single day, especially at night. You're pressing charges. What does that mean for you? in addition to all the other things you have to cope with, like recovering from the injuries? You know what? It's holding someone accountable for actions that they should not have done in the first place, especially at like a work environment. What yeah. process is involved in your case? Yeah, well, when it happened, I first had um, done a report with our security at the hospital I work at and then followed through with the police. But one thing that I observe from a lot of people that talk to me about this, of how important a victim impact statement was. Um, I definitely was not ready to even look at it, think about writing it for at least a couple months. And just one day, I just felt like I, I need to do this. Like, I feel like I can sit down, I can write this. Not only fear for myself and my loved ones, but for anyone as this perpetrator is still walking the streets. The victim impact statement Jennifer wrote is two pages long. In Manitoba, it's not used in deciding guilt, but the judge may consider it when sentencing someone found guilty. Overall, I am not the same person I was since this assault occurred. When I first caught up with Jennifer, the trial and any possible criminal accountability was months away. Meanwhile, she was trying to get help for her injuries. Has the hospital asked what, what you need? What did they say in response to what happened to you? One had reached out. Um, first part was, are you okay? What can I do? It was a phone call. It was an email. I did um, meet with a workplace health and safety committee where I work at. They took all my feedback. It was actually a really good positive meeting where we have your back. We're on your side. We just want this, make this better for yourself and everyone else. Along the way, have you heard stories from others? Yeah, it could be something as uh, pulling someone's name badge, like their ID tag. Um, slapping, swatting them away, grabbing their fingers, their hands, their wrists, pushing them away, kicking, 
I have heard a lot. And even um, going on the hospital property, coming to or from work, whether it's the parkade, down the sidewalk, just all, it, it could be very busy, it could be very scary. And not to mention the verbal abuse that you get. It's common every day. Every day there's a story. Do you have any idea at this point what's in place at your hospital to protect nurses like you from violence of all sorts? I guess one thing was the entrance. The entrance, yeah. I mean, it's a positive thing. You have to have your badge to scan in. But we need more security. Absolutely. Um, We do have a program. So if you do have a patient that does come in, they had violent tendencies in the past, any kind of issues, it could be medication, a diagnosis, we would put a symbol on the door, the chart. Those ones are easier. It's the ones that we cannot predict are the ones that we are most scared about. It's happening more frequently lately. Um, I can't tell you how many assaults there are at my workplace every day. Um, As per the police and other people I've spoken, three to five is a typical in the morning, afternoon. Per day. Per day. Wow. Um, so I know a lot of people, they go through things like me, and they don't want to go back. Do you feel that the system is doing enough to protect nurses from assaults, verbal and physical? I don't. And a lot of times these are repeat offenders. The accused in my case is a repeat offender. It upsets me. Like, I'm going forward. I'm trying to make a difference. It would be much easier to not charge this person. The paperwork, the phone calls, the stress, I'm dealing with injuries. But you know what? If I don't do something and I don't advocate for my fellow healthcare workers, then this is just going to keep happening. For fellow nurses, Jen doesn't want attacks to keep happening. For Jen, she doesn't want to keep reliving the assault, but it's hard not to. How do you think this experience, you don't know yet until you go back to work, but how do you think it will change you as a nurse? I mean, I still try to see the best in people. There's a reason for people's actions. But am I going to be looking over my shoulder more? Yes. I don't want it to affect, you know, my interactions with patients. But I mean, how can you? (laughs) You know, something just happened out of the blue, took me off guard. I can't help but feeling, you know, a little bit um, hypervigilant. I think it's just going to take some time to heal. I just want to get back. I want to get back to the way things were. And hopefully I can get to that position in my life. But like, I just, I have like a lot of guilt and I know I shouldn't, but I feel like I should be there helping my colleagues and the patients that we take care of. It's very hard to sit at home when I could be helping people. Something's been taken away from you. Yeah, it has. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding. With me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. Nearly one year ago, Jennifer Noon was attacked as she entered the Winnipeg Hospital where she's a frontline nurse. She hasn't been able to work since then. Violence directed at frontline nurses is not new. What is unusual in this instance is that Jennifer went to the police and had her assailant charged with assault. Darlene Jackson knows all about that. 
She's president of the Manitoba Nurses Union, representing 12,000 nurses in the province. Darlene Jackson, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Well, thank you for having me, Brian. How unusual is it for a nurse who was assaulted to go to court to, to try and bring her attacker to justice? It is fairly unusual, and that's for uh, many reasons. One of the reasons is uh, nurses often feel embarrassed that they've allowed an assault to happen. For many nurses, they actually believe that uh, violence is part of their job, especially in long-term care facilities. But often nurses are talked out of pressing charges either by their employer or by uh, policing. You know, sometimes the excuse is, uh, well, nobody's going to do anything anyway, or he's going to get a slap on the hand. So uh, for this nurse who was out there uh, going to court and actually uh, taking a stand, I am so proud of her for, for doing that. So are you saying, Darlene, that you could see more nurses filing charges, but for the fact that they're being actively discouraged from doing so? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We could see nurses filing charges in this province probably four or five times a week there could be a charge. We are seeing violence in our healthcare system rising exponentially. And, and it's been probably over the last four years, we've really started to see a rise in it. But right now, it is it is higher than I've ever seen it. COVID really started it with people being really frustrated and uh, our wait times don't help. What sorts of violent incidents are you hearing about in your nursing colleagues? Well, we just got an email from a psych unit in one of our facilities in the city and they're actually pleading for help. They are calling uh, Code Whites several times a week uh, when there's a violent outbreak on their unit. And what we've heard is a concussion from a healthcare worker been punched in the head multiple times. We had a patient attack a nurse and try and choke her. We have back injuries. We have nurses been slapped. We are just seeing so, so many more episodes of violence. And we are now seeing, especially in uh, the, our Health Sciences Centre, which is our flagship hospital, in our emergency department, the number of weapons that have been brought into that facility is absolutely appalling. When someone can come in with a machete down the leg of their pants into an emergency department, we're seeing knives, we're seeing guns. Increasingly, violent attacks involve weapons. Just last week, a security guard was stabbed by a patient who became agitated while being treated in the ER at Health Sciences Centre in Winnipeg. A healthcare worker who spoke on condition of confidentiality for fear of job repercussions told the CBC there were 40 to 50 patients in the emergency room waiting to be seen as the incident unfolded. Have any nurses actually been attacked with weapons? I don't believe we've had nurses attacked by weapons. We've had nurses threatened with weapons. I think that uh, we've managed to avoid that, but there is definitely a possibility it could happen. We actually had to have uh, amnesty lockers put in in an effort to ask these individuals to please lock your weapon up when you come into this department. The problem is, is that for many of those individuals, that is the only way they stay safe, stay safe on the street or in their environment, and they're very reluctant to let go of their weapons. Darlene, what are the statistics and, and, and what are the trends? Well, I can tell you the trend is that we are seeing more violence and it's more violent than it was in the past. For statistics, that's really difficult. In the past, the employers would send us notification every time a nurse in this province 
had some type of a abuse or violent situation, we would get a report and it was very clear where it happened, who the nurse was, what the violent act was, and it would allow the union representative to follow up with that nurse. And right now the employers are not sending out anything in an abuse report that we can actually use. And they're saying it's because of FIA, the Personal Health Information Act, they there would be violating FIA. So follow up with these individuals is very, very difficult. So when you get these reports, what do you do with them? Well, it's basically uh, a bit of a stat for us, a bit of data for us, but there's no way to follow up with the nurse. So we've been having big issues at HSC and um, with security. Nurses have reported that, you know, as they're walking up the stairwell to their uh, the park in the parkade, there's individuals injecting drugs, there's uh, individuals selling drugs. I know of a nurse whose car was broken into five times in the parkade in about a two-month period, and she now just leaves her vehicle unlocked and said they can take whatever they want. You know, uh, I talked to a nurse whose car was broken into, and there was a used condom on the back seat. Oh, my. You know, so we said, like, this is unsafe. And we tried as much as we could and then filed a grievance, and we are now taking that grievance to arbitration. Why do you think all of this is happening? What's your take on the system that should be protecting nurses and other healthcare providers? Well, uh, I think a very large part of that is uh, its funding. They are not funded appropriately to provide good, solid security systems and security guards. Most of our facilities have a security guard at the door, but they are someone who has no policing ability at all. So in 2019, the Pallister government looked at legislation to amend the Police Services Act and bring in institutional safety officers, which would have some policing ability. They'd have the right to retain and restrain. ISOs often are able to carry a baton, carry pepper gel. It's a little more targeted. And we were assured that we were going to have ISOs trained for healthcare facilities. And it's 2024 and we haven't got one ISO in our buildings. You filed a grievance against Shared Health, which oversees healthcare delivery in Manitoba. What are you hoping comes out of that? Well, one thing we've asked for and we haven't gotten was to have sliding doors in the parkades that have a very quick open and a very quick close. We've asked for uh, increased security and increased security rounds in those parkades. You know, we talked about better lighting in the parkades. We've asked for better cameras, more cameras. So we've asked for some some very basic safety things, and I don't think any of them are unreasonable. And I am truly hoping that we can take what we get from the arbitration and move it out to our other facilities that are so desperate for it. What's at stake uh, if more isn't done to protect nurses? Well, I really fear that we're going to have a nurse who is severely injured or killed. I, I really do. I see it escalating. I can see individuals leaving those facilities where there's so much violence and so much crime and moving elsewhere. And, you know, to be perfectly truthful, we're in a critical nursing shortage. We can't afford to lose one nurse in this province. And if it takes bolstering security to ensure that nurses stay, then it's absolutely worth the cost. Darlene Jackson, thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. A spokesperson for Shared Health told us the health authority can't comment on labor matters currently in proceedings. 
But they did confirm that steps have been taken to increase safety at HSC, including reducing the number of entrances, placing security guards at or near doors, increasing foot patrols of parkades, as well as more lighting and video surveillance. The spokesperson also said they expect to be hiring, training, and posting the first group of 40 Institutional Safety Officers, or ISOs, for Health Sciences Center and other Manitoba hospitals in the near future. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen is here. How are you? As we mentioned off the top, Jennifer Noon is one of few nurses who complained to the police about violent attacks. Her attacker was charged with assault, and in late February, she finally got to testify. Jennifer, welcome back to White Coat Black Art. Oh, thank you for having me back. How are you feeling right now? You know what? It's a mix of emotions. Um, It's just been such a long process. It's been almost a year. I'm not holding as much anger. I think I've worked through a lot of that. Of course, it's still there sometimes. It's just been very, very chaotic, especially these last few weeks preparing for the court hearing and trial. What was it like for you? What did you see? What, What did you experience? Well, a little bit intimidating at first. I was like on a race platform. I have, you know, a lawyer on each side, the judge in front of me. I was fortunate enough, though, to be in a courtroom in which the gallery, the people that can come uh, public to view and uh, the accused were behind me. So as I was being asked questions, I was answering them. I did not have to face them until I had to identify them. So shortly, I think after everyone testified, the Crown Attorney met with me. But unfortunately, there was a reasonable doubt. So therefore, the charges were stayed. The Crown Attorney had said that it was a brief encounter and my interaction with the accused and the lack of evidence. So unfortunately, the camera footage from the hospital was too unclear and grainy to identify the accused. How did you feel about that outcome? I honestly thought I was going to be more upset, angry, like the process doesn't work. But you know what? It does not matter what the outcome of this was because this incident actually happened to me i got severely hurt i'm still not at work so it doesn't change anything my view is i'm not the victim i'm a survivor and i'm going to advocate for like safety in hospitals and everywhere else i can for healthcare workers what was it like being able to to tell your story in open court i just felt like this was my moment i can say what I want to say, it's coming from my mouth. It's not coming from like a statement. I thought I handled myself pretty well. Um, of course, there was times, you know, I a little bit choked up emotional, but it was just a very supportive environment and I was not expecting that. And I just felt it gave me my power back. What would you say to those colleagues of yours who were afraid or were dissuaded from taking further action, from complaining officially and, and, and going to the police? I completely understand it can be intimidating and scary. I was scared, but it's not as scary as you think it is. And you will have a lot of support. And honestly, I I really do uh, support whatever choice that people make. I'm not going to judge. But the more that we can speak out, hopefully we can all advocate together and we can make this change because this needs to stop. Jennifer continues to feel vulnerable knowing her assailant knows personal details about her, like her name, birth date, and the hospital unit where she worked prior to the assault. She's still off work. She hopes her doctor gives her the go-ahead to resume her duties soon. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. 
White Coat Black Art was produced this week by senior producer Colleen Ross with help from Jennifer Warren, Stephanie Dubois, and Samir Chabra. Our digital writer is Brandy Wikely, and our digital producer is Ruby Buiza. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.